Uh, good morning. I am Phil Smith, the youth minister at the church here, so if things don't go well, we do a preaching pass before we back. Um, now, Daniel is on sabbatical and a vacation for a few more weeks, uh, so we will look forward to having him back. But over this Christmas season, we've been going through just last week, and then Christmas Eve, and today we're going to do a quick study on Emmanuel, and then we'll get back to our second Timothy study of the remainder of the time while Emmanuel's gone. Uh, but hopefully we can conclude our Emmanuel study this morning. If you would, turn your Bibles to John, the Gospel of John, chapter 1. Gospel of John, chapter 1. Here we are a day after Christmas. It's December 26th. Maybe everything you hoped and planned for in this time period has happened. You are so excited, you're still sort of recovering from the ecstasy and the fun of being up late last night, enjoying all of it. Or maybe your Christmas was more like ours. In spite of your best laid plans, someone got sick, and you're hoping frantically make, having to frantically make cancellation calls to loved ones and find ways to get COVID tests to figure out how much you need to cancel them. Realizing this time you plan for joy, peace, fun, instead it's become chaos, energy draining, and throw up filled. <laughs> So, you know, I have been checked for COVID twice. I like it. <laughs> Either way, the big event is done. It's happened. It's over. Stores are restocking for New Year's and Valentine's Day. Christmas lights are coming down. I just saw a deflated frosty in my neighbor's yard. All feelings and excitement sort of seem to pass, to go away. Maybe you're, you're still holding on to hope. Maybe there's post-Christmas Christmases that your family does, extended Christmases throughout the next week. And yet even then we realize that that's not going to last. Where has this, this hope and joy of the season gone so quickly? We inherently recognize the season, the events, the, the fun times. They, they come and they go and they cannot satisfy within themselves. But there is one thing that lasts and stays the same. When all else leaves, one true person, that the meaning of Christmas, what it's all about, Emmanuel, God with us. But while Santa and his Christmas season may have come and gone, Christ has stayed. God is still with us. And so if you would, stand with me in honor to God's word, and we'll be John 1. We're going to read Chapter 1, verses 1 through 34. We're focusing on verses 14 through 18. But to get the context, we're going to read the, the whole of that section. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness had not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. 
He came to his own, his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I say, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. But from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. And this is the testimony of John. When Jews sent priests and Levites to Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. They said, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, No. So they said to him, Who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Make straight the way of the Lord, the prophet Isaiah said. Now, they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, Then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove and remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain. This is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Father, we thank you for sending Christ, our Emmanuel. Let us be amazed with you as we think about this a little bit more, as we ponder this a little bit more this morning. Let us be amazed and wondering and worship you. We pray this all in his name. The topic of Emmanuel doesn't really start here in the New Testament with the birth of Christ. Actually, it doesn't even start with Isaiah, even though in his prophecy he gives us the name Emmanuel. The, the origin of Emmanuel goes back much further. God with us actually begins in Genesis. Genesis 1 through 3, where Adam and Eve walk with God in the pool of the day. They have fellowship with Him in the garden. However, as we know, the sin broke this relationship. The ability for sinful people to dwell in the presence of holy God was no longer possible when they sinned. As time and the story progressed years later, God temporarily makes a way through Moses for himself to be with man and yet not consume them by his holy presence. He gives them the tabernacle, to this tented house where his glory would dwell while in the midst of the camp of Israel. 
It served as both a picture of what had happened in the past in the garden, what had been lost, as well as a hope for the future of what could one day be fully restored. God of man. Over time, this tent structure was moved and became the temple under David and Solomon, but still, God was while with man, still shielding himself from man, that he might not destroy man in his sinful state. There was still a need for a final fulfillment from God, full restoration to man. It is to this future hope Isaiah testifies in his prophecy about Emmanuel. As they showed last week from Isaiah 9, this Emmanuel would come as a biological child born of, of the descendants of David, of his offspring, but also divine, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Now on Christmas Eve, then showed us from Matthew 1 how Jesus is the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy, the one born of a virgin, having come to save us from our sins. So this morning, we want to carry this theme one step further and talk about the results of the promise of Emmanuel. John, in his gospel, picks up this Old Testament theme, and he regularly focuses on this concept of Jesus as a divine God-man. Well, we see this throughout the Gospel of John. He talks about Jesus' supernatural miracles, casting out demons, walking on water, feeding 5,000 people from a very small quantity of food. We see him make statements and claims for this end. His I am statements claiming to be Yahweh himself, where he is threatened and stoned and pursued toward death multiple times, proclaiming to be Yahweh, proclaiming to be God. We see it ultimately in his power over death. It is resurrecting both Lazarus and himself. It's fitting that John begins his gospel introducing Jesus to us as Emmanuel, showing our main point that Jesus as Emmanuel brings us the fulfillment of God's promise of restoration to relationship with himself. Jesus, as Emmanuel, brings us the fulfillment of God's promise of restoration to relationship with himself. And so this morning we'll talk about four results of Jesus fulfilling the promise of Emmanuel. Four benefits Jesus, as Emmanuel, offers us. First, because Jesus is our Emmanuel, we are able to see God's glory. Look at verse 14. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw His glory. Glory is of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. John introduces the theme of Emmanuel immediately here, stating the Word became flesh. This is the same word he's been referring to and demonstrating as divine in verses 1 through 4, where the word is eternal, as God, was with God in the beginning, is God, and created and gives life to everything because he is God. You think of the name, mighty God, eternal father from Isaiah 9. 
what John might have been thinking about as he draws these statements toward the Word. But he goes on, the same Word became flesh. The theological term, term for this is the incarnation. Christ, in all his divinity, took on humanity. 100% God, 100% man, Emmanuel. God with us, one of us, yet still fully divine. John goes on then, Christ as Emmanuel both dwelt among us and showed God's glory to us. The word dwelt there is the word tabernacle, tented among us. And the word for glory there is actually referring back to God's physical glory housed within the tabernacle. Remember that while the Israelites in the Old Testament had this, this tabernacle, this tent that housed God's glory, they had to stay at a distance from it for fear of being burned up. You think of Nadab and Abihu, who, who don't want to fear God, and the fire comes out from the presence of God and consumes them. Israel stands back and stays away. We really don't want God in our midst. We're scared of Him. Moses shields them from God's glory, even covering his face in the reflection of God's glory when he's been in God's presence. The picture here is that Jesus, as God, no longer dwells near us in an inaccessible building, but is now right with us. One commentary states it this way. The Greek word translated took up residence alludes to the Old Testament tabernacle where the Shekinah, the visible glory of God's presence resided. The author is suggesting this glory can now be seen in Jesus. What was once in the Holy of Holies to be seen once a year and entered into is now visible for all. God's glory is no longer concealed behind a curtain or veil but is available for each one. Jesus is the visible manifestation of God's glory. That's why Hebrews 1.3 says, He is the radius of His glory and the exact representation of His nature. This is why John talks about Jesus as the light in verses 4-9. through It says, In Him was light, and the light was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. He draws from Isaiah 9 there, where the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. And Christ, the glory of God, has come as Emmanuel to enable us to personally see God's glory, the light of his presence. The question then is, what will you do with God's glory revealed? How will you respond? According to verses 4 through 11, Christ was not comprehended, not known, and not received when he came. Innkeepers kicked the king of all the earth out of the cold. The usurper Herod tries to take his life that he might keep his small little fiefdom to own for himself. How will you respond to Jesus, showing you the Father in all his glory? Not only, though, do we see God because of Jesus, but second, because Jesus is our Emmanuel, we have a perfect intercessor to present God to us. 
perfect intercessor to present God to us. John goes on in verse 14. He says that Jesus is the, the only begotten from the Father. This only begotten term has led to some heresies about Christ that he was created or in some way is inferior or less than the Father. However, this, this comes from a poor understanding of the word. One commentator writes it this way. It would be better translated, the unique one. Although this word is often translated only begotten, such a translation is misleading since in English it appears to express a, a metaphysical relationship of a father and child. The word in Greek was used as something unique, the only one of its kind. Other scholars even see this as a reference back to Isaac, when Abraham is supposed to offer him as a sacrifice. In Genesis 22, God tells him, take now your son, your only son, the one whom you love. God says this even though Abraham already has a firstborn son in Isham. But there's something special, unique, about Isaac. He is the promised one, the one who God will fulfill his redemption work through, the unique one. They, they say, in keeping with the Isaac narrative, the term in the present passage just contains a significant soteriological or a salvation dimension. It culminates in John's assertion in John chapter 3, verse 16, that God so loved the world that he sent his one-of-a-kind son. This designation also provides a basis for Jesus' claim that no one can come to the Father except through him. John 14, 6. Moreover, it is likely that this one-of-a-kind in John's context refers to Jesus' uniqueness, in that he is both the human son of Joseph and the divine son of God. Again, this Isaiah 9 reference, human and divine. Every other prophet sent from God before Jesus was to represent him, but all were human, flawed, and only do the best that they could within their human extent. Christ, as the only begotten, the unique one from the Father, however, as God himself, yet a man, was perfectly suited to present God to us fully, completely. But not only is Jesus the only begotten, a better intercessor from God, but John the Baptist's message and presence we look at verse 15. John, this is John the Baptist, testified about him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. In verse 23, we see John proclaim that he himself is a fulfillment of another prophecy in Isaiah 40. That the coming Messiah, Emmanuel, would have a herald come, after, come before him to prepare the people for his entrance. John says, he is that messenger, he is the herald for the glory of Yahweh to be revealed as the coming king. John's very presence demonstrates that Jesus is Emmanuel, the perfect intercessor. The one who come. But, but on top of this, John's message also proves this about Jesus. John states that Jesus had a higher rank than himself. 
even though he was God's prophet. He also states that Jesus is eternal in existence. He says, even though Jesus coming on the scene after him, after his ministry has begun, after he's been baptized, after he's doing all these things, Jesus as Messiah is the one who it is all about. And that the attention, the focus, the limelight should be moved to him. The public eye should not be focused on him. As he would state later in John, he must increase, I must decrease. Even though the one who is first and older would normally get priority, instead, he says, the one who comes after me is what this is all about. Along with Jesus' rank, though, John also emphasizes Jesus' eternal state, stating that Jesus existed before him. John here can only be referencing Christ's existence eternally, as his mother, Elizabeth, Mary's cousin, was already six months pregnant prior to Mary even conceiving of Jesus. He's not talking about a chronological order here, at least in our time frame. He is talking about Christ's eternal existence. This again builds on what John, the author here, talks about in verses 1 and 2, where the Word was in the beginning with God. So Jesus, though, not only enables us to see God and perfectly presents God to us, but third, because Jesus is our Emmanuel, we are able to be in God's glorious In verse 16, he states, For of his fullness we have all seen. Unlike any other person, and even the best of the prophets, only Jesus as the God-man, Emmanuel, is able to offer us the fullness of God, with nothing lacking or left out. But what does that fullness entail? Well, according to verses 12 and 13, sonship, adoption, being made a child of God, being brought into his family. He says in verses 11 and 12, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. In contrast to those in verses 4 through 11 who don't comprehend, don't know, don't receive him. Here there is this option for those who do receive him. They get the full blessing of being a part of God's family, being made his child. But John goes on, not only have we received the blessing of being in God's family, but because of this, we also get Grace upon grace, there in verse 16. From his fullness we all receive grace upon grace. While there are a few different thoughts as to what this, this means, one scholar states it this way, the most commonly held view is grace on top of grace. Or grace accumulating. That's where we get the worship song, we sing grace on top of grace. It is suggested that Exodus 33, 13 provides the background for this, where Moses states, 
Now therefore I pray you, he's talking to the Father, if I have found grace in your sight, let me know your ways that I may know you so that I may find grace in your sight. It is this idea of favor given to one who has already received favor. More and more and more. What this is saying is as those who have received the fullness of becoming children of God, all his benevolent blessings are continually poured out upon you more and more. And it is for that reason simply that we are his children. What better picture do we have of this than Christmas morning? You think as a parent you, you have planned and purchased and packaged and done all this work to, to get these gifts ready for this child or child to see them and be excited, to see the joy on their face as you, as you give them these gifts. As they receive this, their excitement, their expectation, the Father desires to lavish gift upon gift upon gift upon those of us who are his children through Christ. He is no different. We get grace upon grace upon grace. The question, though, is how is this made possible? How could those separated from God because of our sin, just like Adam and Eve, undeserving of Emmanuel, unable to enter his presence, become part of his family? How could that occur? The answer is in verse 17. For, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ, or came to be through Jesus Christ. The law prescribed a sacrifice. The shedding of blood for God to give grace, to forgive sin, to allow people into his holy presence, to even be able to enter the tabernacle of the Holy Holies. Blood had to be spilt. The price had to be paid. Death had to occur. Leviticus 17.11 states, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood by reason of the life that makes atonement. Moses gives the law and the sacrificial system, but it was pointing to something more. A perfect sacrifice to deal with our sins once and for all. Jesus. This is why John the Baptist in verse 29 states, Behold the Lamb of God who will take away the sin of the world. This is why Joseph in Matthew 1 is supposed to name Mary's child Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Jesus, as God, full of grace and truth, in verse 14, is the only one able to make a way for us to have God's grace and truth extended to us through his sacrificial death, paying the price for our sin on the cross, making us able to be in God's glorious presence. Finally, Jesus enables us to see God it is our perfect center of God. It enables us to enter God's glorious presence. The fourth, because Jesus is our Emmanuel, we are able to know God. 
in case you haven't already noticed, this section has a, a strong connection to the Old Testament. In fact, almost all of this is drawn out of Exodus 33 and 34, it seems. With Moses at Sinai meeting with God, receiving the Ten Commandments of the Law, getting the building and diagram and structures for the tabernacle and sacrificial worship system. We see the climax here, though, in verse 18 of all this. John starts, no one has seen God at any time. Think of Moses, even the arguably greatest prophet, the one who gives the law, the one who is the highest revered prophet in Judaism. This prophet of Israel, he's told, you cannot see my face, for mankind shall not see me and live. This was said even though the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face, just as a man speaks to his friend. John's statement somehow holds true here that even though Moses spoke face to face with God, he never could fully see God, and no one has. However, now, through Jesus, our Emmanuel, we are able to know God. And notice here, unlike verse 14, where Jesus is the only begotten from the Father. Now he is titled the only begotten God himself. The only begotten is not just from God, he is God. And because he is God, it says he is in the bosom of the Father. Now that term can literally be translated the heart or the side of the Father. Is a picture of the most intimate, close, and loving fellowship of the Father and Son. It's used to both males and females in relation to the affection, care, and protection of a parent for a child or a husband for a wife. One theologian states it is as if God has reached into his very being and plucked out his own heart in sending us Christ. Jesus, very God, in the presence of God, in the bosom of the Father. But keep looking at this. Notice the verb here. He doesn't say this in the past tense. It's not that Jesus was in the presence, in the bosom of the Father, at the Father's heart. But when he became man, comes down, takes on human flesh, when he, when he comes like us, but that stops, it says he still is in the bosom of the Father. What John is saying is Jesus has never left the Father's perfect presence. Even while he walked among us for 33 years, he was still continually present with the Father as omnipresent God himself, simultaneously. Uh, let me try to give a few illustrations here. I want to be really careful because even these, we can easily branch into heresy, possibly, if these are taken too far. So, so take these with a grain of salt. But it could be said that Jesus simultaneously had, had a foot, or, or maybe rather, both feet in both worlds. Or maybe another very flawed picture, but way to try to describe this is Jesus is the live stream of God as opposed to a recording. 
But even that is lacking because he is not a reduplication of God. He is God, very God himself in the flesh. One who is both in the presence of the Father and present with us, revealing the Father at the same time. Who better to present him to us? And because of this, Jesus is continual presence with the Father as the Divine Son that enables Him to actually explain or make Him known to us. While Moses, when he asked to see God's glory, is obliged, the Lord says, Behold, there is a place by me, and you shall stand there on the rock, and it will come about when my glory is passing by, that I will put you on the cleft of the rock and cover you with my hand until I pass by. Then I will take my hand away, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. He was only able to see God's back and shielded by God from seeing all of Him. The statement about Jesus here, however, of Him making God known or explaining Him, verse 18, comes from the Greek word exegesis. We talk about exegeting a passage. It can be defined as to explain, to make known, to unfold, to declare, or to lead out. Christ, unlike God with Moses, rather than shielding us from seeing God, brings him fully out in front of us to make him known to us. Instead of being kept from him, he is brought fully for us to see. That's why... John 14, 6 through 9, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. <coughs> Poor Philip. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, it is enough for us. And Jesus said to Philip, Have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Christ has made the Father known to us. He has shown us the Father's heart in his every word and action. The care he takes for the hurting. The help he offers the humble and downcast. The aloofness he shows to the proud who would reject him as the king. God's heart is clearly seen by us in Christ throughout all of his life and his sacrificial death. But Jesus, as Emmanuel, doesn't just stop with his return to the Father after his birth, life, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. Rather, Jesus takes Emmanuel, God, with us even a step farther. Prior to the Passion narrative, Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, he tells his disciples that he will rise again. But even after that, he will have to leave. So I'm going to die. I'm going to come back to life. They're like, oh, awesome. Okay, we can do that. And then we leave. The question then is how, how can Emmanuel continue if Christ leaves? How can God be with us if Christ is returning the Father? 
Jesus gives that answer in John 14. He says this to his disciples. These things I have spoken to you while abiding with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. The Prince of Peace from Isaiah 9 gives his lasting spirit of peace, even after he's going to leave. While Christ went, he sent his Holy Spirit, the ultimate form of Emmanuel. God with us is now God in us. With the indwelling of his Holy Spirit. That's why Paul states in Colossians 1.27, Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's what John the Baptist testifies about here in verses 33 and 34. It says, But the he who sent me to baptize in water said to me, He upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining upon him, this is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. I myself have seen and have testified that this is the Son of God. Here is Jesus, the absolutely perfect fulfillment of God's promise of Emmanuel. To fully restore the relationship of man to God. God with us. God in us. The question then is, what will you do with Emmanuel? Jesus has come as God in human flesh to show God to you. As the perfect presentation, making a way for you to be with God and to know Him forever. Emmanuel has come and he offers a restoration of relationship with God that was promised in the garden. And though broken by sin, is able to be restored. How will you respond? If you're here and you've never come into relationship with God, if that relationship is still broken, you're still at that garden state, your sin separating you from the presence of holy God. Emmanuel, he offers this restoration for you this morning. All you have to do is receive his sacrificial gift. Admit your need of him. And ask. The Lamb of God stands ready to pay the price for your sin. To deal with what would separate you from the Father. For those of us here, though, who have already placed our trust in Christ, who are in relationship with Him, how are you doing at living out the reality of Emmanuel in your life today? Are you living like the Creator of the universe has come as a baby to make Himself known and to be in intimate relationship with you? That does your time with the Lord in prayer, reading, listening to His Word, reflect a zeal for Him anywhere near the extent of the zeal He has demonstrated toward you in giving Emmanuel? Do you pursue Him? Do you 
want to know Him? Do you desire to be with Him? Spend time with Him as much as He would if you send His Son as a babe in a manger for God to be with you? Is your daily life lived in recognition of the presence of Emmanuel in your life? Does your fight with sin and pursuit of righteousness reflect an understanding of His divine presence watching your every thought and action? Does it demonstrate a reliance on His divine power within you, Emmanuel, God with you, God in you, enabling you to do the things that He calls you to? To do the things that He desires you to do, things that would please Him. Or maybe something else to think about. Do you communicate with the Lord like He is Emmanuel? Like He is with you? Think about the, the super hard times or the wonderfully joyous moments or, or just the humdrum of the day. Your life. Is your first instinct to reach out, to talk to Him, to interact with Him, knowing that Near, knowing that he desires to share life with you. Does your daily life communion with him reflect your understanding of Emmanuel? Here we are, a day after Christmas. Santa has come and gone, the wrapping paper is shredded, boxes and gift bags are empty, but Emmanuel remains. God with us, God in us. May, may your hope, may our hope and joy today, throughout the rest of this month, the end of this year, next year, the rest of our lives, we found the reality that Emmanuel, God with us, is here to say forever. We pray. Father, we thank you that the wall we your sheep would, would run astray and everyone has turned his own way. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That you are a God who desires in our brokenness to restore us to your fullness that we might know you, that we might be in your presence. That the Emmanuel God with us might occur. Lord, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his coming. Help us do not think too small of thoughts about you in this. Let us be amazed and overwhelmed and excited because of what you've done. Let us worship. Let us bow down. For you are worthy. And Lord, let us, let us treat you and act and live as the truth of Emmanuel affects our thinking in our lives. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.